Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS. So today's show, we'll be looking at insurance startup accelerators, hubs and innovation labs. And to talk about this with us, we're joined by some fantastic guests. We're joined by James York, who's the CEO and founder of Worry and Peace. Liam Gray, Head of Research and Partner Management at Startup Bootcamp InsureTech. Tazidi Hagen, Program Manager at Startup Bootcamp. And Toby Talpitz, CEO and Co-Founder of LACA. So I'm going to ask each of our guests to give us a quick summary of what they and their companies do before we start. And I'm going to start with you, James. Ah, hello. Um, hi, everyone. Yeah, Worry and Peace is uh, an authorised intermediary with the FCA. But we've also been uh, on the sly building a bit of a tech platform. So that's kind of coming to the fore now and it will launch in July. It's a, a bit of a marketplace of everything. So should be exciting. Exciting. CD, how about you? I actually have a background in um, strategic investments and partnerships, um, focusing on fintech and insurtech startups, specifically working for Old Mutual, Pan-African financial services provider. And then actually through that collaborated um, Old Mutual's partnership with two startup bootcamp programs, Startup Bootcamp Africa and Startup Bootcamp Insurtech London. And through that, established a good enough relationship to um, actually move into a role at Startup Bootcamp once I moved to London. And since then have been program director, um, specifically looking after the London program. Traditionally, our role in the industry has been to partner um, insurers in bringing sustainable propositions to market and doing so by leveraging technologies developed by startups. Going forward, we're looking at more bespoke um, creations of very specific um, solutions that are addressing specific problems that um, insurers are experiencing. Really interesting. Thank you. Uh, Liam, how about you? So I originally came from the corporate side of things working for Aon Endpoint, which was a strategic consultancy focusing on insurers and reinsurers. I decided to come to the other side and move to Startup Bootcamp about eight months ago. And now I head up research and partner management for both the Hartford InsurTech Hub and um, the London program as well. I'll go into a bit more detail on what the difference is um, a little bit later. Perfect. And how about you, Toby? Um, yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of LACA. Um, we do cycling insurance powered by the community. We are also a former startup bootcamp and Showtech alumnus. Brilliant. So just to give a little bit of context for this episode of the show, incumbent sponsored hubs, accelerators, incubators, whatever you want to call them, they're prolific across the fintech industry. And more recently, that spread to InsureTech. And we've got big names such as Viva and Swiss Re launching their own programs. And then we've got more sort of collaborative programs like Startup Bootcamp. And this episode is going to discuss the benefits and also some of the limitations to both InsureTech startups and traditional insurers of these programs. So to kick us off, I'm going to ask CD and Liam to tell us a little bit more about Startup Bootcamp. So CD, do you want to go first? For sure. So Startup Bootcamp, you know, has an illustrious history of running um, accelerators across the world, largely sort of doing so with a focus on a particular industry vertical. The program that we are involved in running specifically focuses on insurance technologies. And we've been running this program over um, the last three years. The traditional model is essentially around getting a brief from our insurance partners on the the trends that they are interested in exploring from an emerging technologies perspective as well as emerging business models, using that brief to then go out and scout startups that fit that profile. Um, and typically, we tend to think a little broadly, um, not only looking at startups that identify themselves as insurtech startups, but others as well. We then select um, some startups. We then pr- 
present to our, our partners. We go through a filtering process and ultimately um, get to a point of um, inviting some into a rigorous process where we essentially select the top 10 who are then incubated in a program over a period of 10 months where we then facilitate various workshops on both the side of the um, insurers in terms of giving them skills and tools on how to partner more efficiently and effectively. And then on the other hand, doing so with respect to the startups themselves in terms of readying them for for partnership. And typically the tools that are dispensed to them specifically are around you know, business development tools. Um, so everything from, you know, legals to fundraising to, um, you know, best practices in, you know, user design, etc. So, yeah, so that's that's what we've been doing. Yeah, did you have anything to add? So we decided to take that model and basically replicate it in the US. So now we've got the Hartford InsureTech Hub over in the US where we power the accelerator. I'd like to say that what we're trying to do over there is a little bit bigger than just putting in and ensure tech accelerator into a city. It's actually part of a much bigger initiative. So they've decided to identify three main areas that they want to focus on. So one's medtech, another's advanced manufacturing, and the final one is InsureTech. And InsureTech's the first off the ground. We've had our first year there. We had a really big demo day, 400 people attended, 400 people online. A lot of excitement in the city. But that's just year one. So we're hoping we're hoping we're hoping that um, we can actually take this and we can um, make sure we build on that going forward. Great. Best is still to come. So before we, I'd like to speak to you about, you know, maybe some of the success stories that you guys have seen. But before we get there, I'm going to bring Toby in because I know that you've been through one of these uh, sort of similar programs. You know, what were the benefits to you of going through that? First of all, you know, which program did you go through? And secondly, you know, what did you get out of it? What, what was, was beneficial to you? Sure, happy to. I was actually part of the very program from CD and Liam. CD mentioned it's incubation or startups get incubated um, versus accelerated. And that's actually quite true. I'm not sure if I should say that publicly, but when we started... Um, um, early on, we were very, very early in our journey. Um, we were looking for milestones and proof points. We were asked during selection days, how far along are you? And I just said, we go live in May. And luckily, nobody challenged that. <laughs> it took us a little bit longer, but we managed um, to go live eventually. And um, yeah, so I think it's great validation for us. We had this interesting slash weird idea and you need some people believing in you and getting your first proof points. So Start Bootcamp certainly is a, a great stamp of approval. And um, we got a lot of, out of it in terms of, well, we mentioned um, knowledge, for instance, many, many different classes and courses we went through. Admittingly, in the beginning, we ran through the classes like um, chickenless heads, headless chickens. Headless way, chickens, yeah. That way around. I like chickenless heads, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that in future. And um, yeah, so I think after the first two or three weeks, we settled a little bit and had more structure around it. And um, from here on, it's really what you made out of it, I guess. You can choose, you can pick what is really helpful and beneficial to you. We clearly made use of the legal services, UX, UI. I think two points really stood out for us. The first point being um, fundraising. So we had an amazing partner, EOS Venture Partners, who helped us structuring our first round. Very supportive and helpful, knowledgeable there. And I think the other piece um, with a new proposition is the insurance partnership. And we were very lucky and happy that we found a partner in the InsurTech program, Zurich, that is, who took a leap of faith, who want to see true innovation and have been supportive ever since. So I think um, we got a lot, lot out of it. It comes at a cost, to be fair. You have to give away a little bit of equity 
in our early days that was worth nothing and probably still is. But again, honesty it, there. It accelerated us, um, not just incubated us eventually. And um, yeah, I can recommend it and we'll do it anytime again. That was a seal of approval. Were there any other sort of, I mean, we can see that, you know, Laka is definitely a success story. Were there were any others that you guys wanted to call out? We've, we've actually um, are in the fortunate position where we have a couple, right? So from as early as our first year of program, you know, a lot of people would have heard of Buzz Move and, and, and now actually positioned as Buzz Group yep. in that, you know, they've, you know, recently announced their partnership with with Munich Redigital Partners and uh, are bringing to market Buzz Vault, a home insurance proposition that leverages blockchain. So really a team that's doing really superbly, doing really well and, you know, watching the space with with keen interest. And then, you know, you look at, you know, our second year of program and we look at the likes of of a team like Lacquer, you know, look, look no further. And um, we actually um, had dinner yesterday with one of our other startups, which was initially Sibia, now uh, rebranded as Valu, which, you know, you know, raised quite a significant round and has gone on to do amazing things, sort of bringing propositions into the market in France, soon to be in Switzerland, you know, also sort of exploring the UK and Germany as well. So really exciting things sort of, you know, lined up for, the, for that team. And then, you know, if we think about a startup from the program this year, being Zaguro, which is, is actually going into market with a cyber insurance product in the US, which is a really exciting space that everyone is watching with keen interest. So a lot of excitement, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, truly, truly global. global in that yeah. sense, absolutely. Yeah, just just to add on that Zaguro point, what's really fascinating about what they're doing is before the program, they weren't writing any business. Now they're licensed to write in all 50 states. And I wow. think that's pretty incredible. That's not easy project. to get that licensing yeah, across it, the states. Not at all, not at all. And that's because they've got backing from um, Munich Re HSB. But yeah, I've seen other startups in the US take their time building up. I'm not sure if that's going to be a massive benefit or it's going to be a bigger challenge that they've started in 50 states immediately, but we'll see. It's a nice challenge to have. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'd like to bring James in here because you started a company, but you didn't get through any of these programs. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got off the ground. Yeah, I'm sorry, everyone, to interrupt this startup bootcamp advertorial, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm here to be the red team and, and throw some contrarian views into the mix. I'm not going to be harsh, though. The reality was that these programs didn't exist when I founded the company. So I had an opportunity, I think, to apply for the same cohort at Techstars as Cover. In fact, I went in and met them, thought they were really cool. But you know, I'd, I'd, I think I'd read a book very recently to the meeting with them by a guy called Felix Dennis, who founded Dennis Publishing, now not, not in print and online. And he talked about how every percentage of equity, you have to project forward what you're going to be worth in the future, what your ambition is, and what that's worth now, and then make a judgment call when you, when you give that away or, or effectively invest it in someone helping you. So at that time, I didn't deem the process to, to have been you know, in my interest as a business. But I guess it's what you want out of things. If you're in it for capacity or regulatory permission, well, without obviously declaring conflict of interest, I extend our own authority to other startups already. And we've got three now. And I think there's another accelerator incubator, whatever you'd call it, called InsureTech Gateway, that have got three startups as well. And it's Hambro Perks that fund them, which are you know, a very large funded business. So it, you don't have to have huge resource to be able to help people and incubate them. So you're saying that you're incub- worrying pieces incubating Already some doing other that, startups? Yeah. So um, Flock recently raised uh, a couple million. Um, yeah. Are they drone insurance? Yeah, they're drone right? insurance, yep. underwritten by Allianz. And we obviously help with the supply chain of that. The hard heavy lifting is done by Flock. We, we literally step in and incubate effectively. And we've just announced Hakoda 
Kodo, who are an SME, going to be almost a bit like Casco's model with commercial insurance. And some of the plans they have are really exciting. And certainly the, the team there is spectacularly good. So, you know, that, that is available to people. So the thing I would stress is you have a spectrum of choice available to you. Make sure you figure out what you want out of it. Because what I think the likes of SBC are very good at and, you know, Entrepreneur First and these companies is because they have a stakeholder interest in your business, it's their job to almost, you know, add to the hype train and, and get you that valuation by perception. It's not necessarily going to help you move along within the cracks of the industry or get where you need to be. As Toby said, you know, things take a lot of time in insurance. But it is going to help you have more of a reputational boost that you need and that, that PR machine behind it. So, yeah, I guess they were my they were my two main thoughts on the matter. And just to add, I think we now have moved slightly on to call the wider London ecosystem, which is just phenomenal. Um, and there's a right toolbox available um, beyond accelerators. We were also lucky enough to be part of a fellowship program um, funded by Investor Anthemis, for instance, that helped me going in very early days. The FCA sandbox to point out if you don't have a straightforward business case to solve some questions. Or even other stuff that really helps you relieve your, your cash um, constraints. A legal uh, fintech fund um, by the likes of Simmons and Simmons, for instance, helped us get going as well. So I think there's a lot out there. You need to make use of it and research them and go for them, right? Yes, it's sometimes effort. You need to fill out application forms over and over and over. But you become eventually quite good at it. Yeah, and, and look, to, to add to that as well, there's nothing negative in what I said there. It's caution, not criticism. And ultimately, what I would like to see is the likes of SBC actually taking their position and, and market power effectively to lobby better. You know, things like the PRA, they're not even in the, the conversation yet. We talk about the FCA sandbox, but Toby should have been able to go and become an insurer off his own back, thereby not requiring any insurer partnerships. That's the, the path to disruption. So if anything, I'd like to see SBC stepping up a little bit more because at the moment, to me, it's a very good business model. And let's be clear, it's a, it's a good business model. And you have all the mentors effectively working for free, boosting your investment for the networking value, which is, again, a trade-off. But I really want to see you now taking up that that step and, and you know, adding to the value of the ecosystem rather than extracting value from it in the aggregate, which is a great model and I like it. But it looks to me a bit like there's a glass ceiling and you guys are inside it and the people that are starting out aren't and they need you and that's what the equity pays for. So that's where my cynicism comes from, but it's a healthy one. It's a very much a supportive cynicism over to SBC <laughs> yeah I like this I feel like a referee in a match today I should point out I told you I was the red team because <laughs> the podcast I've got them on either side of me as well it's brilliant uh, guys yeah sorry Absolutely. But, you know, I think a lot of the observations you've made are valid and, and credible. I think, you know, it, it definitely has been an evolving trend, if you like. Right. So we, you know, really sort of established um, a model that we were, were certainly sort of replicating for reasons that we felt were valid at the time. And as times are changing, we're evolving too, right? And learning. And as such, you know, welcome, you know, all the sort of new entrants into the space that are teaching us how to, you know, do it differently, do it better. And in fact, you know, we've challenged ourselves. So, you know, I, I hinted earlier that we're, you know, moving into a collab model. And in fact, in that program, we won't be taking any equity. We'll have a right to participate. That's not what we're doing off the bat, right? So we're seeing our role there primarily as, 
you know, being what you're saying, you know, leveraging this brand that we've built, these... So does Toby get his equity back then? So sadly not. And and, and, and perhaps you will have a side discussion on who actually holds the equity because it's not Startup Bootcamp primarily, actually. It's it's the insurers who t- took the leap of faith of saying, let's set this up, right? And That's really interesting, actually, because exactly. I'm not sure that's widely understood. No, it's not, exactly. And so so I think it's really important to kind of actually understand that as a, as a first step. That's not actually what motivates us or gets us out of bed and and as you can imagine because we do not have a fund we don't follow on as you know the startups continue to fundraise right so you know we're not in it for for the equity right um so yeah our rationale is slightly different but we're yeah we're learning and we yeah welcome thoughts and suggestions on on how we can do it better i'm going to come in from a slightly different angle here it may be slightly controversial but we like controversy it's brilliant but but i (laughs) Honestly, I feel like a company like Toby's is an anomaly when it comes to a corporate accelerator. We're not going to get that many propositions that are really going to disrupt the industry simply because it's a corporate accelerator. It's more going to be about enablement um, and those side of things. And that's what we've seen in startup cohorts. I'd say the most disruptive thing that we're seeing trend-wise is the fact that adjacent companies from adjacent industries are starting to move in. That's something quite interesting. And that's something that could potentially really change the industry. What sort of industries are we talking about here, just out of interest? So the main ones that we're seeing is agritech companies coming in from sort of like imagery and also health, medtech. And a lot of these companies are moving into the more preventative side of things because insurance is moving beyond just, okay, we're going to give you some money for this. It's moving into the sort of loss prevention side of it. How can we help you manage your risk a little bit better? And that's what we're seeing a lot of. And I think that's an area that corporate accelerators are going to be looking at a lot more. Unfortunately, it won't be the massive disruptions, maybe one or two, but it's more going to be on that side, I think. Yeah, without putting SBC on the block, when I'm talking about accelerator incubators, I'm talking about the whole industry yeah i think it the the models do differ and that's it sounds like sbc have a a great approach to it yeah i mean i think that idea of prevention rather than cure is something we have we just see consistently across this podcast whether you are a startup or a a big player um and talking of the big players um you know do, do any of you obviously we don't have a big player in the room today but do any of you have any thoughts on you know well (laughs) obviously toby obviously toby but uh in terms of those incumbent you know partners that you've talked about you've all mentioned you know what are the benefits for them other than the equity to getting involved in this thing so and in fact james maybe you can talk about it why are you incubating other companies when you're not so giant yourselves yet i mean you're you're big but you know Uh, you're not aliens yet what's that move is it the social network where the, the the twins have got him in the boot room and they're saying you know what have you built and he says i built a music player and they say who'd you give it to oh yeah microsoft tried to buy it and he said how much did you sell it for and he said upload it for free and he shrugged at them that is my mentality to extending my authority it shouldn't be as hard as it was for me so this is my shrug to say if i meet someone who i think has got a great offering who i really gel with personally and i want to see it in the market for the betterment of the ecosystem then i will give them exceptional terms and help them get to market the deals themselves aren't necessarily um, in the short term great for me it's more of a reputational thing to put a flag in the sand and say this is what i stand for and i'm an ally to people that are trying to do the right thing i mean toby what about you you know you you work with some you have partners um you know insofar as that you don't i don't want to ask you to speak for them but from your perspective you know when when you're working with them, there's obviously a partnership what, what are the benefits to them as far as that you know you've you've heard from them as it were yeah i guess to be fair it's not a commercial business case yet we are learning we're iterating and um, we have to do our homework and we'll take a bit of time i'm hopeful that what zurich gets out of this deal is an innovation play so um 
getting in the right mindset, which departments we need to speak to. Um, it's very easy to oversee that it's not just one person running the show. Um, they have different departments from underwriting to complaints, compliance, um, agency, marketing, who all have a say. And I think if you pave the way as a, as a guinea pig, so to speak, it will be inevitably easier for the next companies to come in and you're getting in the right mindset, right? And yes, um, startups by definition fail. And if you can just absorb that and get in the mindset that failure is okay, and also in the eye of the regulator is okay, then we see many, many cool propositions propping up. Do you think that the way that you work with Zurich has maybe changed over time? Do you think that they are taking things on board? Or, you know, is that something you were hoping for the future because you haven't spent enough time with them yet? Absolutely, it's changing for the better. And I think that's partially... Um, if you think about our business proposition, just to very briefly recap, it's um, we charge premiums in arrears um, at the end of the month based on the actual cost of claims. And that comes then with very different questions. It's not underwriting risk, it's credit risk. And with that, a whole set of different topics to address. And um, Zurich was aiming or trying to see this through with us. And we're very grateful for that. And of course, they want to put some place and some safeguards in place, right? So we had excluded a couple of postcodes in the beginning just because we need to make sure that, you know, it doesn't blow up on day one and a couple of um, heads are rolling. So I guess we are building up trust. We're earning the trust the hard way. There is no shortcut to that. But um, I think we are in a good place here. We've just came out of the EFCA sandbox. We've extended our partnership with Zurich. So I guess in baby steps and then again at light speed at the same time. And yes, we're coming with vo low volume in the beginning, in our early days. And there's only so often that you can see the underwriter and get in front of them again. And um, it's fair, I guess. But I, I mean, I guess the point is they've extended your partnership. So they're obviously getting something out of it. Whatever that might be, it's, it's, it's definitely better. Beneficial. I just thought that was an interesting point. And from differing perspectives, we have delegated authority at Worry and Peace, but because the deals were struck with a different mindset, the companies we work with don't necessarily get the cultural inspiration Zurich would get with, with Lacquer. So I think that's a really salient point. And from my perspective, that he talks about making failure okay. It's not actually, I think I'd augment that. It's not about making failure okay. It's about establishing a failure ratio. So for X number of investments at X thousand pounds, how many fail and how many succeed and what's your conversion rate and what happens then? And I think a lot of insurance companies often bet big on not enough prospects and therefore those projects become too big to fail and they're not then in the right mindset to invest lots of small incremental sums in things that are going to succeed and then show that, you know, one in 10 maybe lack is the one that pops. But if they hadn't have done the 10, they wouldn't have got there. So that's really important. I think. Yeah, I think that you guys sort of hit the nail on the head there. The culture piece, the mindset piece, that's probably the biggest gain from all of our corporate partners. I'd say that is the way that they developed the most. So when they first came in, it probably took a very long time to get a POC in place. And we're actually seeing that over in the US as well. Um, where they're coming in and they're saying, okay, it's going to take us about six six weeks to sign an NDA. Things like that really shook up the startups when they first got there. They realised that that's not reasonable or acceptable. And all of a sudden they realised that they need to change these processes. So that's a massive area where they're going to learn. And hopefully we're going to move to a stage where it takes them weeks to make a decision on whether or not they want to move forward with a startup. And that's what we're moving into with the CoLab model, hopefully. We, ha we have to be mindful, though, that, again... To go back to it, the barrier to becoming a carrier, <laughs> sorry, that <sounds> rhymed oddly, <laughs> should be way lower. I mean, the, I, I realise there are solvency rules that our country has signed up to, but it, it has to be easier for someone to become a direct carrier because you can't ultimately do anything, if I'm going to use that horrible cliched word, disruptive, if you don't have control. And I think it actually would 
better benefit the insurers to allow you know someone like toby to take a hundred thousand pound gwp test it see how it runs see the loss ratio and them to reinsure it and back you know back the worst case scenarios and then have a first option on taking equity or taking the the, the paper in the long run or consolidate toby you know buy his business for a multiple for his investors to get that exit so i just feel like it's the wrong way around and the delays you're talking about are, they're absolutely you know to these to these sector incumbents they're normal to to me and to toby their lunacy like i've had one carrier recently that made a wording change and there was one line in it that didn't work and we had to block out our whole sale of our policy while we were waiting for our address to be approved and the consumer outcomes were poor and they didn't seem to see how that was wasn't really a normal or a a best practice way to operate and the scary thing about that is that they think they're moving quickly Exactly. And and that, this is the thing. If the, anyone thinks that by working with a startup, that cultural inspiration is going to make them move quicker, then they're already moving 10 times too slowly in my mindset. So, James, are you hoping for a PRA sandbox? Yes. Well, we are. And, and actually, founders are getting more savvy to the fact that there are there are more buttons to potentially, you know, raise to press. And, you know, without going any further on that, absolutely, I'm I'm fundamental that I think we need the PRA to be involved in this conversation because otherwise the carriers have monopoly on the options and I don't think that's right from a competitive point of view. I'm not, that doesn't poo-poo Xerox and the Munich Re's and, and everything else, but you know I believe in consumer choice and the six FCA outcomes to be a real geek about it. And if you don't get that choice and the PRA aren't involved, then it doesn't look like a you know a good market for me. And I guess to add to that, sorry, break one word on that. So as a startup, we still have to do our homework in a regulated environment, right? So, for instance, we brought in Lorraine. She was um, in charge of compliance with XI Catlin, for instance. So she's a true asset and, you know, keeps us at bay focusing on compliance. So it's not that we um, go out and just demand the world. I think we have the backbone to a certain degree, at least. And if we need to have more resources, we probably could get them in eventually. So yeah, PA Sandbox is a great suggestion, James. And I think your your suggestion, James, might not fall on, on, on deaf ears as such, right? I have spent the last sort of two days um, at InsureTake Insights and a lot of the narrative there was around how essentially risk needs to move closer to capital. And so, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the winds of change are clearly in the air. <laughs> I can hear them whistling. And so, I, yeah, I think it's definitely something worth worth pursuing. You know, I think with, with the right, right people who are willing to you know be bold enough to to take to take that leap I, I confess as well i've got a bit of an idealistic motive for it as well we we all got invited to government department to talk about insuretech a long time ago before the the committee we all as in a ton of founders a ton of i, was like, I don't think i got that invite but anyone you know. is anyone <laughs> um and i cheekily asked the, the lord that was there at the end if he saw any billionaires in the room and i think his response i'm, I'm gonna add a little bit but he said something like we can't do that can we in the uk and meaning that we can't make a Google or we can't make a, a Facebook yeah. or Twitter. And it goes down to that mindset of whether you're acquired or whether you're an acquirer. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the ecosystem at the moment is going down the acquired route. And I, that's why I want the accelerators to be held to account because we need acquirer mindset so that, and if you're a direct carrier, you can do what the Buffets did with the money and buy other companies and build more cash flow. But we can't get on that escalator until, you know, that capital is available and in control of the startups. And I think that's something we see actually across fintech in this country, not just in insurtech, because we've seen, I mean, certainly across Europe, in fact, we've seen very few sort of 
booming unicorns if we want to go down the buzzword route. Um, but that also needs us, uh, leads us nicely on to sort of what I'd like to uh, be one of the final questions of the discussion. And that's how do you measure success? So, you know, Toby, you know, what were you what would what would have been your ideal outcome from that? And, uh, you know, you guys on the on the start of bootcamp said, how do you measure success? Because not everybody is going to come out of that program making lots of money, fully licensed, you know, ready to go. Um, so I don't know who wants to go first on that one. But I suppose in our world, we, you know, have a have a combination of approaches, right? So we have have qualitative measures which would assess things like you know the depth of the relationships that we've built and you know what what that's delivered for the business right I was having a discussion with one of our, our partners yesterday and unbeknownst to me he was citing all these examples of the engagements that various employees within his organization through their um, engagement with Startup Bootcamp specifically, how that's led to um, their personal growth within the business um, and their ability to spearhead um, certain um, initiatives and discussions around um, sustaining the business and thinking differently and transformation, etc. And that was really compelling. I'm, you know, I, this was just a, honestly a discussion to find out how this guy was doing. And, and this is what emanated from that discussion. And then I guess there've been more sort of qualitative approaches where um, in the early days, we're kind of looking at things like, you know, number of POCs successfully concluded, the number of our startups who've successfully raised within a, you know, a, a reasonable period of time. And while those have been interesting, right, what we're finding is there's much, a much bigger appetite for, if you like, qualitative KPI or at least quantitative KPIs that matter, right? So what is what is impact on my claims ratio? What is the impact on my loss ratio? And certainly that's where the d- discussion is moving going forward. And so we needed to, to think about how we uh, position ourselves to be able to deliver those sort of results and within a defined period of time. To the incumbents as to well. To the incumbents as well, yeah. exactly. And I guess, you know, by so doing to, you know, helping the startups as well. Yeah, I mean... I'd sort of split it in two ways. On the startup side, it, it really depends where you start, right? Because if you start with an idea and you come into an accelerator, you're expecting a lot less than if you come in with a product and you're you gonna want to You're going to go live in May. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, Which year, though? <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, if you take a company like um, Forest Car from our last cohort, who came in with an idea that they had been working on for six months, you wouldn't expect them to be sort of production ready by the end of the program. It's just unrealistic. Whereas you had Zaguro, who had quite a lot of traction before, and then they just, it was almost a scale up from there. Um, and then on the partner side, the corporate partner side of things, it's about where they are um, with respect to their maturity. So in the very beginning, it was all about experimenting. So they just want to meet a load of startups, understand what the landscape looks like. Now they're starting to get a little bit more mature and they know exactly what they're looking for. And that sort of made us move into this whole collab model where we're looking at very specific problems. That's actually beneficial to both as well, because the last thing you want as a startup, we haven't really touched on it today, but is to go into one of the accelerator programs with with a load of um, companies behind it. They just don't really know what they're looking for. So you, you go in with a great idea and the, the, you know, the sponsoring companies are like, we're just trying stuff. And that doesn't really help anybody. So that sounds like you're, you're moving much more in a, uh, I suppose, in a focused direction, which can only help everybody. To be honest, though, it happens, right? So these organizations are undergoing tons and tons of change, um, some internal, some external. So, you know, the likes of an AXA, Excel, Catlin, you know, merger, 
that's huge, right? Um, in terms of change for the organization and what that means in terms of their ability to partner because they're, they're trying to figure themselves out, right? So, you know, it's by no means sort of an, an easy process, but we're, we're mindful of what the challenges are. So, yeah, that's why we're positioning CoLab as we are to sort of, you know, be proactive about addressing some of those challenges. And I just want to caveat everything I'm saying with, yeah. in certain markets, the accelerator model, is still the best model. Well, I'll let Toby answer that question, and then maybe we'll pop back to that. But you know, Toby, what was what did success look like to you when you came out of it? Were you 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 know you said you sort of hinted, I think, that you sort of changed your mind halfway through, or you sort of you rethought things as you were going through? Is that would that be fair to say, or is that more with your FCA sandbox that you sort of had some rethinking? I think it's somewhat outside of the accelerator program. We had to find a structure and the regulatory side of things. We came in with a slightly different idea. The consumer facing part is largely the same. Um, we didn't have any hard measures, how many customers or how much in funding or whatnot else or what time frame. It was really a chance for us to make the proposition to come alive, um, to find a partner tick, to um, build an awesome ecosystem and a network tick, fundraising um, tick, although it's never enough. Just so you know, Toby's looking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been a great success for us because we wanted to de-risk our proposition, right? And that worked um, reasonably well and um, continues to do so. And um, yeah, I think everyone for themselves. And if you feel it's the right proposition for you, go for it and go all in. Cool. James? Yeah, from an outside perspective, Toby's case study looks like success to me. I mean, you know, still in the fight. So survival's number one, isn't it? You know, paying the bills yeah. at all if you can. Capacity and uh, and fundraising. Um, that's the one area I think that the accelerators and incubators are very, very good at. As I, as I talked about earlier, profile building and establishing almost a pre-valuation in reputation. And, and putting you in front massive. of people who have money who might want to give it, it to exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> but also helping you to avoid the kind of black holes and mistakes that I've made when I've walked into potential VC or funding meetings, um, which, you know, that would be the only area where I probably was very green and could have done with someone to have schooled me a little bit more. But you learn by doing as well, don't you? I just wanted to just nip back very quickly to Liam's point about different markets, because um, I just, we, you know, you mentioned that you're, move, you're working in both the US and, and the UK. What are those different, you know, you, do you want to elaborate a little bit on your point there about in some markets, the accelerator yeah. model is still better? Yeah, absolutely. And if you are experimenting, it makes sense to have an accelerator. If you don't know exactly what you're looking for, it's about build and developing that culture within your organization. Having an accelerator is really good. You get to see a massive range of startups. You get to engage with them. You get to allow your teams within your organization to engage with them. So beyond just the sort of um, point person. And it's massively beneficial for the organization. But when it gets to the stage where they know exactly what they need, they know exactly what startups they want to work with they need something slightly different. Okay. So would we say that maybe the European or the UK market is slightly more ahead in knowing what they're doing than some other places? I think so. I don't think uh, nobody here is outside of... You, you guys aren't outside of the UK. No. So, okay, so I come then. from a South African background <laughs> and, and one would argue that the South African um, insurance market is actually quite mature. You know, they, there are a lot of innovative models that have come outside of... Yeah, yeah, out of, out of um, South Africa. Telematics. Yeah. yeah, telematics is one. Um, you know, if we think about what discovery um, has meant, not only for health, but for life. Um, and if you think about their plans in South Africa, actually looking to kind of provide a, a fuller sort of financial services offering really want to watch in terms of what's next and then there's a, a proposition like all life um, which is like you know sort of earlier in its days but you know has covered 
a disease that um, historically was never covered. Is that diabetes? Is that the one that... Exactly. Yeah. So they're doing diabetes and HIV, right? Um, and have brought some really sort of sharp ideas around how to, um, yeah, cover diseases that historically haven't been covered. So I mean, that's just a reminder for us to, to all sit here talking about the UK and the US markets. There's actually quite a lot happening outside of those markets. You know, you mentioned South Africa and I, I think Israel is yeah, another one that we should yeah. all keep an eye on. Brilliant. Well, that wraps up our discussion today. Thank you so much to everyone for joining me. Um, so where can our listeners find out a bit more about you, James? Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at James J.W. York or they can connect me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Uh, CD? I am most active on LinkedIn at CD Hagen on Twitter as well. Perfect. And Lynn? On LinkedIn, and just to make things complicated, my Twitter handle is at Inside InsureTech. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Why didn't we trademark that one? <laughs> and last, but my name is Lise Toby. I'm on LinkedIn or toby at laka.co.uk. Perfect. And you can find me at Sarah Kashansky on Twitter. Next up, I caught up with James Birch from InsureTech Gateway, an FCA licensed InsureTech accelerator that launched in the UK last year. I'm Sarah Koshansky and welcome to InsureTech Insider. I'm here with James Birch, who's principal at InsureTech Gateway. How are you doing today, James? I'm great. Thank you, Sarah. How are you doing? Good, good. So can you, should we start by you giving me a quick overview of, you know, what InsureTech Gateway actually is um, and, you know, what your role is there as well? Yeah, no, sure. So the InsureTech Gateway is a kind of new investment vehicle or kind of model looking to invest in early stage um, InsureTech startups, um, predominantly in the UK and more broadly speaking, Europe. I suppose where we kind of differentiate from uh, the competition from our point of view is we're kind of moving away from the traditional patient capital, venture capital model and uh, moving more towards a, cap- a capability first driven model which kind of falls down to four key things or four key capabilities and I suppose the hypothesis we're trying to solve is um, to remove the barriers to entry to the insurance market um, and enable insurtechs to get to market quicker so rather than taking 24 months to get to market to, to actually take kind of you know six months or maybe even nine months and the full capabilities we've kind of built here at the insurtech gateways is first the investment capital piece so we invest off our own balance sheet you know sums of fifty thousand pounds to, to two hundred fifty thousand pounds depending on the the stage or the level of the idea or the business second bit which is quite unique is we are the first business to be regulated by the fca as an insurance intermediary that's uh, also an investment vehicle so i suppose Maybe actually I'll say that in a bit of a different way, but um, it's the first time a global regular financial regulator has um, regulated a business or an investment focused business for anything other than investment purpose, which is a big win for us. And the ambition for that is not saying that a startup can't get directly authorized, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a nine to 12 month process. And how can we speed that up? Well, we can do an appointed representative process for ourselves and i.e. the startup can leverage our license. The second piece or the flip side of the coin is is underwriting. So we've built a panel of underwriters or you know, insurers and reinsurers, which enables us to provide authorized capital or you know, underwriting capital to our startup. So day one, they kind of get the initial check and also they have the regulatory piece if they want to use our license. And they can also 
also um, use our authorized capital and IE sell product. And then the fourth pit is we have a general platform, which is quite, quite commonplace actually now in, in venture capital in, in the UK and increasingly in Europe, which is you know a range of service providers. So we have an in-house legal team, accounting, marketing. We have deals with the likes of you know, Stripe, Amazon, Google to kind of enable top tier talent to come into um, the insurance sector and kind of leverage as much of our kind of toolkit of capabilities as they require to kind of get to market as quick as possible. So you're providing them with uh, with with every tool they could possibly need if you're a startup, every tool you could possibly need to to get out there and, and get operating faster. Yeah, I think the so this is particularly to InsureTech and a bit more broadly to fintech, right? But um, one of the big problems with InsureTech at the moment is um, it's not it's not attracting the right talent. And what we've tried to do with InsureTech Gateway is build a place that we can encourage top tier talent, whether it's from kind of academia and, and you know, MBA students or whether it's from kind of a tech giant or, you know, and obviously the insurance sector itself or maybe, you know, a strategy consulting house or investment bank or whatever it might be, right? Give them all the tools they need to build an insure tech startup, you know, get an entrepreneur in the purest sense into the sector because I think that's what we really need for kind of the, the wave two, wave three of insure tech is it get kind of purest startups and entrepreneurs that are looking at the problems in the market from a different angle than you know we are in the people that spend their, their day in day out looking at the insurance space are so actually oh that's really interesting so you think that um, to really you know accelerate uh, in, in insurtech innovation you actually need people from outside insurance to start looking at you know, different problems and different ways they can be solved yeah i mean i you know Obviously, someone with 20 years experience in insurance is fantastic and they, you know, they know the, the issues themselves and they've been in the industry for a long time. So people from those kind of backgrounds certainly are kind of a tip box personally on our checklist when we're kind of looking at investing into a business. Also on the flip side, you know, people with no insurance experience, but maybe like a lot of technical experience, you know, we look at those guys or, or girls in the, in the same line, right? So people that have kind of different arrows or strings to their to their bow, right? My kind of personal view is we need more of the non-insurance expertise coming into the sector so we can, what are the ways to encourage to do that, right? And, you know, we, you look at kind of Tech Nation and, and uh, Asian Treasury more broadly, and they're doing great things to kind of encourage entrepreneurial talent, whether it be from kind of the school education level to, you know, helping and supporting on visas to encourage kind of importing of, of top tier talent from abroad into the UK. So how does InsureTech Gateway work? So if I am one of those, you know, entrepreneurs um, out there and I've got a great idea, do you do cohorts, you know, like traditional sort of accelerator model or are you open for applications, you know, all year round? How do people get involved? Yeah, sure. So um, easiest way is just to get in touch with me. <laughs> but but aside from that, no, I mean, the way we uh, accommodate startups or, you know, individuals, and that's kind of one thing to note is actually that, you know, we're as comfortable kind of home growing ideas when it's someone comes in that's clearly very talented, maybe with a rough idea on a piece of paper, we will invest into that individual and support them kind of getting the business up from the ground. Or whether it's a, you know, a business which maybe been around for 18 months and has, you know, had a lot of those kind of initial um, wins and maybe is already live in market with, you know, something more than MVP, we'll also kind of look to invest into those businesses. I suppose that kind of half answers your question, right, is that, you know, we will invest on a case-by-case basis into startups or, or individuals and business cases. So there's no cohort, there's no program, it's 24-7, we're open, 
you know, all year round. So um, look, just get in touch with us and we'll have a meeting with you and see whether we like you and the idea and whether we think we can support you as much as you'd be a good place and a good fit for us. And I guess that means as well that it, rather than, you know, saying to a, to a startup, you'll get X amount of money and 12 weeks of support from us, you, you think much longer term, right? You, you think beyond the idea of, you know, a 12 week, 16 week, whatever program. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And one of the, I suppose, our benefits of being a balance sheet investing business is that we can continue to follow on in your business or your idea the whole way, right? We don't have any kind of fund structure that's limiting us being, you know, X amount invested into a particular business or can only invest for a certain investment period. So if we particularly like a business, we will invest in it all the way until exit or, you know, or trade sale, right? Which is a key benefit of the Intrita Gateway other kind of um, against the kind of more traditional venture capital model. And um, and I guess the, the question that we discuss quite often is, you know, the sort of support you're offering is brilliant to startups and you're, you know, you're offering them that option to, to leverage your license, et cetera, et cetera. But what do you think really needs to change for insurtech startups to, to, to have, you know, to really make a difference and to actually be able to to maybe get out there with without the help of people like yourselves? Is, is there something that needs to be happening with the licensing, you know, the regulation? Um, I'm thinking particularly, you, you know, the, the the, on the fintech side, the FCA has got its sandbox. Do we need to see a sandbox from people like the PRA as well? Yeah, I mean, so so um, that's, there's a lot of different layers to this question. It's a great question. So on the regulation point, I mean, look, the FCA are already supporting insurtechs, right? So there were a couple of insurtechs in the sandbox in the last cohort in um, in 2017. And actually, so one of our portfolio investments, Fluff Flash, was, was in that sandbox. Um, and I know for sure there's going to be at least two announced in um, the upcoming sandbox, which will probably be announced in the next kind of month. And so the you know the FCR including Chirtech and that yes, the PRA could potentially look at doing something simpler, um, similar. But I think you know fundamentally the the capital requirements to set up a full stack insurer are such that it will be it's very difficult for someone without any track record or a business without any track record to be able to raise that kind of capital. So that's typically why we see insurers go for the insurance intermediary or you know i.e. broker option right to get to market quicker and prove themselves out and then look at the full stack approach later i personally don't see the you know my my view on the uk is that it's you know a fantastic ecosystem kind of from four key points right there's the first bit for me is talent second is capital third is kind of policy and, and regulation and then the fourth is kind of demand or i.e. consumer demand and i th- i personally see the gap as being capital and i think that there is a um, gap in the seed stage of the capital curve. And I think that's purely down to just the UK market being less developed and less mature than, than you know, the US. When you look to the guys over in Silicon Valley, right, you've had multiple exits from multiple businesses where then these kind of newly made and, and found super angels look to reinvest their personal earnings into, you know, early stage ideas and are willing to write checks for $50,000, $100,000 quite easily and readily. That doesn't exist really in Europe or the UK. And that's kind of why we've seen this, I suppose, flourish of seed stage, you know, venture capital businesses or incubators, accelerators kind of come up, whether it be kind of anything from EF, really the early stage kind of idea state, idea piece to kind of more like a Inchita Gateway Havre Perks, which are looking at kind of, you know, 100 grand, 200 grand checks. 
And that kind of um, seed stage investment needs to kind of really flourish before, you know, people are willing to quit their jobs and start up a business. Because I think that's quite, it's quite a scary thing to do. And until that kind of level of support's there, I can understand why people don't do it really. Yeah. And I think as well, one of the things that uh, comes up quite often with with some of the work we do is that, um, you know, whilst all financial services are are capital intensive to set up a new business, insurance is particularly capital intensive if you want to go, you know, for the the meatier parts of the value chain rather than, than just the distribution. And so I, I think that your, your point will, will um, resonate with a lot of people we've spoken to who are saying that, you know, it's great to, to make the front end really jazzy. But if you actually want to properly upend insurance, you need a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, there are some innate problems with insurance as a sector, you know, particularly if you're going for insurance and media piece where you then have to automatically partner with an underwriter, which means you're kind of like locked into to their own kind of internal red tape and process and operations, which, you know, is isn't great for a startup, right? And kind of puts chains on them and slows them down and slows maybe their kind of ambitions down too, which makes it a completely different beast. But but my personal view is, you know, we, we shouldn't complain. We've got a great ecosystem. The regulator, the policymakers are really super supportive. And also, you know, the government in general has set up a kind of perfect storm almost for the success of startups and particularly financial services, broadly speaking, startups, right, including insure taking into that. So it's just a case of really of, you know, insurance is such a big sector that we can disrupt and also enable and it's trying to encourage the, I think, I, I mean, it's, it's a broader problem, right, in financial services area is that, you know, people use a lot of jargon and make process kind of overly complex when they don't need to and insurance is, uh, is, is, a, is a great example of that. Actually, it, I personally don't think it's, you know, not coming from an insurance background myself, I don't think it's actually as complex as it sounds or looks from the outside. And it's trying to encourage people and educate people that this is actually a great place to start a business and something that there's a lot of opportunity to. And if we can continue to do that, then we will kind of hopefully have an influx of, you know, how can I keep banging on about it, right? But great talent into the market. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, James. That's been really interesting to hear um, another way of doing things, if you like, in the InsureTech uh, Accelerator world. Um, where can people find out more about you? So if they want to get in touch, uh, do you have a Twitter handle or an email address you'd like to share? Our website is uh, insuretechgateway.com. Um, personal Twitter handle is uh, James Birch UK. Um, get in touch with me direct. Get in touch via the website. Um, we run open office hours on a fortnight basis anyone that's interested in talking insuretech or insurance more broadly get in touch and we'll have a chat and we'll um, go from there and thank you very much for the time sarah perfect thank you so much And that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to all our guests, to James, to Toby, to Liam, to CD, and to James Birch from InsureTech Gateway. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTechInsiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please do leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. <laughs>